Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. I am your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth, and this is a B-side episode. Before we get into it today, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to Pop Pantheon wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us get recognized by algorithms and up in the ratings, especially on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much to everybody for doing that. Please follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod and me at DJ L-O-U-I-E XIV on both Twitter and Instagram. And send us your questions for the listener mailbag episode that we have coming out. We're taking questions on pop. We're taking questions on the pop pantheon. We're taking questions on anything that's even tangentially related to those things. And also disputes on tears. If you feel like I ranked somebody wrong, I want to hear from you. Let's talk about it. We're doing voice notes as a priority. So if you can record yourself and drop that in the email to poppantheonpod at gmail.com, we get priority boarding to voice notes, but we will take written questions as well if you don't feel comfortable recording your voice. So send us your questions and we will be answering them in an upcoming episode. So this week's B-side is about the MTV VMAs. They are coming up on August 28th. And I thought that would be a good time for us to both do a little previewing of the show coming up. Although I think the VMAs have become less of a cultural event than they've ever been. So it's less really about us previewing them and more about us reflecting on what made them great. Obviously, the VMAs were an absolute juggernaut in terms of their ability to affect a pop star's career and trajectory for many, many years, starting from their inception in the 1980s through even the early 2010s. And it's only really been in recent years with the death of terrestrial TV and the waning importance of MTV, generally speaking, and I guess of award shows more broadly that they've really lost their cachet and their meaning and their ability to create, quote unquote, VMA moments, which so many of us remember as some of the most important, exciting, thrilling, titillating, aghast moments that we've ever had with pop stars. So I thought it would be fun to reflect a little bit, share the history of the show, talk about some of my favorite moments and some of my venerated guests, Dunzo's Troy McKeady, who did our wonderful TRL episode a few months ago. And it's just us kind of waxing poetic on the history of the VMAs and sharing some of our favorite memories from them and talking about what kind of impact they've been able to have on some of the careers of our favorite pop stars. So without further ado, here is my conversation about the VMAs with Dunzo's Troy McKeady. Okay, so I am here once again with the host of Dunzo and the wonderful Beyond the Blinds podcast, Troy McKeady. Troy, welcome back to Pop Pantheon. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I feel honored. Well, honored, I mean, every time we need somebody to fill us in on the history of music television, MTV, there's only (laughs) one person that I feel we can turn to, and that's you. (laughs) (laughs) It is truly one of the only things I know a lot about, which is like, I don't know what that says about me, but yeah, I mean, it's my wheelhouse. It's my favorite thing. I absolutely cherish our TRL episode, and I know that a lot of the listeners of Pop Pantheon do too. Like, that was educating the children, but also I think was a revelation for a lot of people our age who didn't realize that TRL was not a thing that younger people knew about and had been memory hold in broader popular culture. So I think we kind of changed people's lives with that episode, both like in good and sort of like terrifying existential ways. (laughs) Yeah, I've listened to that episode like three times. It's one of my favorite things I've ever recorded. (laughs) I loved that episode. That was a revelation for me, for sure. I didn't know that young people weren't aware of TRL. So I feel like we're going (laughs) to do something similar today. I think so too, because I got to tell you... 
when Russ brought up to me that we should do a VMAs previewing sort of episode, I was like, should we? Because does anybody give a flying fuck about this show anymore? I mean, I don't feel personally as someone who grew up in a generation that worshipped this show, Mm -hmm. looked forward to this show, experienced many of its greatest moments live on television and like remember where I was for each of them. It feels like in the last few years, especially, like this show has really lost its meaning, je ne sais quoi, vibes, excitement. Do you feel that way? I 100% agree. I think this show is a show that really catered to the way people used to be famous. And I think the VMAs has a hard time being what it was and what it used to be while also trying to like put these new kinds of celebrities on a pedestal and it just doesn't feel the same. Mm. But I think it's very similar to TRL in that way where it's like the times have changed and like this award show created like a whole moment and it really changed award shows. But now we've kind of moved on from like what made it special. Celebrities are so accessible. Totally. And also I think award shows writ large feel largely meaningless at this point. It's Mm -hmm. not just the VMAs that have lost their cachet. It's the Grammys. Anything that occurs in this old school format on terrestrial television Mm. just does not feel like in sync, no pun intended, with the way that popular music is consumed by young people these days. Like the whole thing is in need of a massive overhaul. And I think like so many things in our society, the raw energy that made MTV VMAs unpredictable and exciting at some point turned into a broader marketing strategy that as the wonderful Malcolm McLaren once described as karaoke culture or creating the illusion or external version of a piece of culture that happened in the past but without any of the actual sort of like depth meaning chutzpah that generated the original thing and I think Really, the VMAs, like so many corporatized items in popular culture, often eventually turn into, has turned into like a total, like manufactured feeling, not authentic version of what made it exciting in the first place. And that's been going on for quite a long time, but it's really calcified in the last five, six years, it feels like to me. Yeah, I really honestly couldn't agree more. I think that it's a parody of itself. Right. In a lot of ways. And I feel like though mm-hmm. even the way that they present it, where they're like, you never know what's going to happen on the wild <laughs> exactly. VMA stage. <laughs> Will electrifying events take place? It's exactly. like, no, they won't. They won't. <laughs> they will not. You know, Troy, as I was going through, because later, so what we're going to do on this episode, just to lay it out, is that we're going to walk through the ethos, the history of the show, and it's going to conclude with Troy and I naming five of our favorite VMA moments, as the VMAs would like us to call them. Yeah. And I was going back through them all. Like, I was really looking at other lists that have been published over the years, reading some histories of the show, trying to remember, like, what the VMA moments were. And it kind of feels like there hasn't been a true VMA moment, really. And this is germane to our episode that will have just come out the week before this episode airs, i.e. it comes out tomorrow. I don't know. I'm confused with the whole thing. But (laughs) is Miley and Robin Thicke in 2013 feels like the last time that the show generated a truly classic VMA moment that felt genuinely controversial and strange and sort of unpredictable and caused a real 
cultural flurry and discussion of yeah. any consequence. Does that feel right to you? 1000%. So as you know, for Dunzo, I cover the VMAs a lot and I will yes. go back and rewatch one VMAs episode in its entirety. Right, and everyone should go listen to those episodes if you're interested in all of this because he's going to give you the actual in-depth reporting on all of the different ceremonies that we're not going to have time for here. So highly recommend those as addendums to this episode. They're fun and the thing is like, I, you know, you forget about the moments outside of, you know, there's like all these other moments that happen that you kind of forget about because they're not the right. headline grabbing moment. And what right. I've learned about the VMAs is that the point of this show, whether we knew it back then or not i understand it now watching it as an adult is that the point is to grab the headline mm -hmm. that is the point of the vmas it's to be the celebrity who gets the front page of the new york times the next day in the post and like that is the goal and everybody is mm -hmm. fighting to get the headline and i also find i mean we'll talk about this but i feel like a lot of the animosity that male artists had towards female artists like britney and like christina was that they always stole the headline Eminem mm. didn't get the headline. He was talked mm. about, but Britney got the headline, and that was the big thing. And yeah, right. Miley for sure got that fucking headline. Oof. Yeah. If the VMA moment, as we came to know it, was this controversial, surprising, exciting, titillating, maybe slightly in bad taste mm. event, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which I feel like you could kind of throw a lot of these moments under that particular umbrella. Unpredictable, garish... Camp. <laughs> Camp. I feel like that was the last time that that happened in a way that didn't feel corporately generated or something like that. That was the last yeah. moment where I remember watching the show and being like, oh shit, this is fucking weird. And we're going to be talking about this for a few days. And like, what is she doing? And yeah. this is like striking in a slightly uncomfortable, vaguely sleazy yeah. way. And ever since then, in tandem with the, as I mentioned earlier, the sort of like loss of interest in terrestrial television and MTV's waning importance generally in our society, it just feels like, is this show even worth saving or is it worth inventing something almost entirely new at this point? But let's not answer that question yet. Let's, okay. let's come back to that question. Okay. So I want to get into this by first saying that this year, just so people are aware, the VMAs will air on August 28th. The big award of the evening, their Video Vanguard Award, which is essentially their Lifetime Achievement Award, will be going to Nicki Minaj. And it will happen at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> The most nominated artists of the year are Jack Harlow, Lil Nas X, and Kendrick Lamar. So kind of rap heavy, interestingly enough. And people that are performing, again, feel sort of like a strange melange. Nicki Minaj, Anita, Jay Balvin, Marshmello, Khalid, Panic at the Disco. I think all of which speaks to the fact that this show is completely losing its relevance or cachet because that list of performers does not feel reflective of the state of popular music in 2022. Anyway, so that's where we are in 2022. Let's rewind. At their peak, what was the ethos, generally speaking, of the MTV VMAs? What made them singular and what made them the most fun award show when they were actually the most fun award show? Well, 
one of the things that you and I talked about in our TRL episode was that MTV used to be really good at being a network that was sort of representative of these like lightning in a bottle moments, these like Mm -hmm. wild moments that felt like it was like once in a lifetime. It was like one night only. And if you're there to see Mm -hmm. it, like you're experiencing something that people never forget, you know, that whole thing. And that was their whole sort of spirit at the time. And to me, the VMAs was almost like this perfect bookend of Mm. the year on MTV. And Mm -hmm. Back in the day, when an artist would appear on MTV, perfect example, I'm so glad that you just read the list of people performing, right? Because it's like, back in the day, I used Christina as an example in some episode that I talked about, where it's like, when you see Christina Aguilera wearing that, like, scarf shirt and, like, walking down the steps towards Eminem, that's so iconic because Eminem and Christina were both having massive MTV years. Yes. What's up, New York City? I'm here to present the MTV Video Music Award for Best Male Video, a category where five good men are easy to find. We've got a true rock legend, a real Latin lover, a hip-hop cutie, and a couple of soul men and one real troublemaker. Check it out. Videos playing constantly, constantly on mm-hmm. TRL, making mm-hmm. the video. They are eating up MTV. So when you mm-hmm. see them on this award show, it means something because they right. are MTV artists and they've had a big year on this network and they're mm-hmm. coming together. Now, what does it mean to see Panic at the Disco? That, who, <laughs> who cares? What does it mean? You know what you're making me think is that the VMAs were an extension of MTV culture, which was yes. this hermetically sealed world of pop unto it itself that was both interconnected to the broader pop landscape, but also completely independent from it. It had its own values. It had its own stars. We talked about this on TRL, like how there's so many stars and hit songs from that era that Mm -hmm. we thought were the biggest in the world, but actually were only sort of humongous within the context of the broader MTV extended universe. So. The VMAs almost felt like a reflection of that in a way that it could never be at this point because A, MTV is so erroneous at this point, and B, even if it does have any cultural relevance, it has nothing to do with music for most of the year. So there is no stable of MTV stars. There's no generation that's turning to their particular programming to understand the meaning of popular music and culture through their lens. So the VMAs inherently, even if they were highlighting more relevant centrist pop stars and were able to draw those people in anymore, it would still not have the patina of the capstone of a year of MTV culture. And that's something that can't be regained unless MTV somehow found a way to be a relevant popular music station again, which it can't. So as you were talking about at the height of their fame though, from the 80s, 90s, and like through the peak of it, I feel like in the early 2000s, they were a reflection both of youth culture, but a youth culture as refracted through MTV's very particular version of that. Totally, 1000%. I think you worded it perfectly. What were some of the facets of a peak VMAs? Like, what were some of, like, generally speaking, things that would make for a great VMA award show ceremony, like, during the good times? Like, what were some of the things that we would tune in and we would expect? You would expect really outrageous fashion. Really... Mm -hmm 
what the Met Gala meant when they wanted, like, a camp theme. Right. They essentially were trying to recreate, like, the VMA's red carpet. It is the truest definition of camp. I mean, it really Mm -hmm. is, you know? It's everybody leaning into their most sort of stereotypical thing. Like, if you're a pop star, you are a fucking pop star at the VMA's. Right. If you're a rapper... You are a rapper at the VMAs, you know? Mm. So definitely fashion. And I would say also the mixing of oddball pairings, I think is mm-hmm. a huge <laughs> thing at the VMAs. Seeing Hillary Dove present an award with Lil Jon. She's from Iceland and he's chilling. Say hello to Coolio and Bjork. Yo, what's up? Me and my homegirl Bjork is here to present the award for best dance video in her native Icelandic tongue. I'm here to translate. Yo, yo, Coolio, we have to find a way for the best dance movement. That is the VMAs. Like, and also, like, performances that feel career-defining, right. boundary-pushing, some sort of chapter like a wikipedia chapter of your career is Mm -hmm. a vma performance and i would say lastly controversy the vmas is like where you would go to like air grievances and argue with people so that it ends up on the cover of every newspaper the next day i was about to compliment uh uh, rupaul that's beautiful i love that gown i love that gown you should queen it's one of your old ones Funny line, funny line. I, I, I wish I'd have said that. Don't worry, you will. <laughs> oh, oh. You, know, you know, I'm beginning to feel like a straight man. <laughs> I don't know about him, but me. <laughs> but I, I, you, you know, RuPaul, 40 years ago, seriously, 40 years ago, when I was on uh, TV, I used to wear gowns myself. Is that right? You used to wear gowns, and that's funny. Now you wear diapers. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was looser, less formal, and felt genuinely more kind of rock. Not yes. in the musical style, but in the way that it felt genuinely like you were on your toes. People could do and say things they wouldn't do on other award shows that Mm -hmm. felt more like venerated and old school, even the Grammys. You felt like anything could happen and things that you wouldn't see coming could see coming and would be invited in that context. Like MTV didn't shy away from those controversies. In fact, I think they started to run on them. So I think that was what made it feel exciting was like, this is the place where people could curse and where they could be super sexual on stage or they could have beefs aired out in the middle of a broadcast a live broadcast that's happened numerous <laughs> times <laughs> this bitch that had a lot to say about me the other day in the press miley what's good It really felt explosive in that way. And that that was welcome. That explosiveness, that unpredictability was welcomed and even supported by the infrastructure. And that was what really separated it as a live television musical event from the Grammys or the AMAs or all of these award shows that were gesturing towards prestige. And I think the other thing that that makes me think of is like the awards themselves have always felt 
like a total afterthought that doesn't matter. Like the VMAs (laughs) as awards feel like a total pretext for the shenanigans, essentially. Another thing that I've discovered is that 90% of the time they're completely made up. Right. (laughs) They're awards that 10 years later, when you tell people what you won for, it's like embarrassing. The most insane one that I've seen so far was the Triple Threat Award. (laughs) And it was at the 2007 VMAs, which was already a train wreck. But the nomination was for celebrities who have three jobs. <laughs> they completely <laughs> it was completely made up. It was like Justin Timberlake right. being nominated for being a singer, an actor, and an entrepreneur. Like what? Mm. Oh, Just so making shit up. Things. You know, like You mean because he owned Southern hospitality in New York City or whatever? <laughs> yeah. No, like literally. It would be like Diddy, fashion mogul, rapper, and businessman. It's like, what Mm. is going on? Like, Mm. they would make up shit all the time just to give certain people awards, you know? And I just feel like I don't remember anybody who won any of these awards. (laughs) Like, I can't... Aside from the Video Vanguard Award, which is their big career retrospective award, which I do remember because that's a big deal and the artist usually gets like a big 10 to 15 minute showcase and that feels memorable and important. But that aside, I couldn't tell you who won Video of the Year. I couldn't tell you who, like from the biggest (laughs) to the smallest, most made up category, it feels like the awards here are generally erroneous and All that really matters is the performances and the strange moments that have occurred around the award giving out. And they know that. I think they ultimately end up giving out on air, especially as time goes on, very few awards, right? It ultimately is a performance showcase. So let's talk about a little bit of the history here. How do the VMAs begin and what sort of like broad strokes the journey that they take through their evolution to their peak and then to their current backsliding downfall into the pits of pop cultural trash heap? Well, I think that most people would say that the first... I guess, moment of the VMAs that sort of set it off was Madonna. Right. I think that Madonna really sort of helped create, as she did with most things, she Mm -hmm. helped create the sort of blueprint for what it would look like to be a celebrity who goes to the VMAs, you know? Right. And, you know, award shows, especially in the 80s, my God, award shows were so stuffy and uptight and it was a place where celebrities were supposed to be very mannered and well Mm -hmm. you know pinkies up you're wearing a bow tie Mm -hmm. and tails and Mm -hmm. like it's where you go to be a celebrity a star a light palm clap moment you know i'm thinking of that scene at the beginning (laughs) of all about eve like the Sarah Siddons Award, like where they're all like in that stuffy ballroom and drinking champagne and everybody is like very prim and proper and sitting there in their finery and diamonds and not moving their head one inch in the wrong direction. 39 times have I placed in deserving hands this highest honor the theater knows. Surely no actor is older than I. I've earned my place out of the sun. All About Eve is a perfect example. I mean, it's mm-hmm. literally, like, just so staunch, you know? Mm-hmm. And the Madonna came along and decided, like, let's turn this award show into, like, a raunchy, late-night, drunk, sweaty kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know? What Troy is referencing here, which I'm sure bears no repeating, is that the award show started in 1984 at Radio City Music Hall, and that ceremony is 
forever ingrained in pop culture history because as we all know, Madonna came out in a wedding dress to sing Like a Virgin and in a way that I think we would now think is pretty tame and de rigueur for female pop stars, kind of writhed around on the floor in the wedding dress in a very stylized, but I guess still salacious on some level manner that essentially generated the idea of a VMA moment right then and there. And also, I think the fact that that happened specifically on MTV, on the VMAs, and that it was Madonna, a woman who at that point was creating what it looked like to be a female pop star. By definition, Madonna is the first, in quotes, female pop star. So, like, the sexuality, the provocativeness, all of that stuff, that moment was really setting the tone for what female pop would look like on that show, on that network, forever. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty wild. Mm -hmm. At the very beginning, like, the first few years of the VMAs are sort of like, you're watching this show try and figure out, like, what it is. It -hmm. wasn't totally sure of, like, what it was going to be or what Mm -hmm. it would turn into or, like, what its spirit was. But Mm -hmm. it did have that punk rock, like, anything can happen energy always. I think that was, like, the one streamline. Yes, I'm not married, but you, you did. I don't care. You were the baddest cat in that place. <laughs> Here we go. He's just Morris Day, Glenn Fry, everybody. Eddie Murphy. This is, this is Madonna here, the little thing for <laughs> Now Sean Penn going to whip my At what point would you say that it found its footing as the award show that we remember it as now looking back on it? I would say like the early 90s, like Mm -hmm. Michael's era, like his reign as the most famous pop star in the world, I think was like when the VMAs really became what it is or what it was. I love you. (laughs) Some of us like to play it safe and take each day as it comes. Some of us like to take that crazy walk on the wild side. So, for those of us who like living dangerously, this one's for you. What was the power that having a VMA moment or having a really memorable performance could have on a pop star's career? Like, what was the power that this show had brass tacks in thinking about how a pop star hypothetically could use this particular ceremony to buttress, support, expand, solidify their fame or their pop trajectory. Well, we kind of touched on this earlier, and I honestly can't stress the point enough. The VMAs were such an important tool in getting people talking during a Mm -hmm. slow news cycle, you know, during a time when, I mean, even as recent as Miley, like a time when like a VMA performance, that headline could last days, weeks, months, if you're Britney Madonna years, decades. I mean, I can't help but go back to the Madonna like a virgin thing and say that was the moment she became a superstar. For sure. 
I could point out similar moments for Britney. I could point out similar moments for Gaga. Like they were really a platform. It felt like to me where you could, as you mentioned and laid out for us, like solidify your fame in a way that I don't remember Grammy's performances doing, for instance, by contrast. Never. Something about speaking directly to kids in that way, I think was part of the power. And that goes back to our TRL discussion. Like MTV's chokehold on youth culture really gave them a power that even if their numbers were equivalent to another award show, they had much more seismic power. And it goes back to something I think we also talked about in the TRL episode, which was that it's akin to TikTok or something in this day and age where it was like the ability to like streamline this directly into the veins of children (laughs) really was what gave the VMAs their cultural cachet and commercial power for these pop stars in their careers. Like there was a period where it's like, you weren't really a top tier pop star unless you had had one of these big VMA moments. That was what I remember from my youth. It was like, you hadn't made it until you had a VMA moment like that. And that's like what Miley, I think maybe was the last person to capitalize on that idea, you know? Yeah, I 1000% agree. And to kind of piggyback off of your previous question, I also think, you know, we have to mention the red carpet. Mm. The red carpet at the VMAs is so special and so fucking right. important. I mean, I know obviously you have people like Joan Rivers who really like took the red carpet and turned it into something special at those more uptight, buttoned up award shows and like the what mm-hmm. are you wearing? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's amazing. Yes. And I love yes. that aspect of it. But the VMAs red carpet is very different. It's quite possibly, in a lot of ways, it's like, aside from the performances, it's the most important Mm. thing. And I really think a lot of award shows have taken their red carpet culture from the VMAs. Just like the raucousness of it, essentially? Yes. The motley crew of it all, like just seeing all these people show up and Pam Anderson's nipple is out and and Whitney and Bobby are fighting. And it's like a fun house of celebrities being Mm. their peak celebrity, coked out, drunk, sweating. Rock culture, right? Rock culture for sure. I'm thinking about little Kim showing up with her. Yes. Hanging out with little Kim who pulled out all the stops tonight. Okay, did you have to, like, work yourself up to this? Or were you like, yeah, I'll wear that? I was like, yeah, I'll wear that. Did somebody make this for you? Yes, I have a amazing. Yeah, my stylist, her name is Misa. She's actually here today. She's standing over there. She has a cowboy hat. Do you guys guys get a shot of this? This is like... Now, obviously, your hair didn't grow out of your head like that. (laughs) So... I thought a fun way for us to like help illustrate this all for people would be for us just kind of go back and forth and share five of our favorite VMA moments. Now, a VMA moment can be anything. It can be a performance. It can be a happening. It can be a feud. I guess it could be winning an award, although I just, as I said, (laughs) it's not a particularly memorable aspect of this show, really. So. (laughs) (laughs) I think this will be a fun way for us to just sort of reminisce and maybe will lead us to some other thoughts that we want to share about the VMAs writ large. So why don't you go first and share your first of your top five VMA moments? 
So my first of my top five is Lady Gaga. It's mm-hmm. Gaga's first VMA performance. Mm-hmm. Lady Gaga is so special in what her time period represents on MTV because mm-hmm. she is the opening of a new chapter. Right. You know, she, she very much represents the closing of a chapter and an opening of a new one. You know, she was at the forefront of this new kind of version of being a pop star. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the reason that the girls all started getting weird and avant-garde and more camp mm-hmm. and Rihanna cut her hair off and started wearing <laughs> fingerless gloves and the girls are wearing spikes you know what i mean like Katy perry was shooting whipped cream yes. out of her titties yeah she's jerking off uh, whipped cream cans on stage and <laughs> gaga showed up and really shook everybody to their core and sure. i just think that performance of paparazzi it's just so representative of that time period of her career it's so just high whore gaga you know Yes, that was the moment Lady Gaga became a superstar, in my opinion. She'd had many hits. She'd had Just Dance and Poker Face and Love Game. She was the centerpiece fixation of popular culture. Mm -hmm. But I think that was the moment where people realized her largesse. They realized the vision and the insanity and Mm -hmm. the way she understood how to pull the levers of celebrity in order to put herself on the A-list. And I think it goes back to something we've been talking about, which is that Gaga is a student of pop history. She grew up on the VMAs. She grew up knowing what a VMA moment had to be. And when I watch that performance, I see somebody that was like, and I hate to use this internet speak, who understood the assignment. It's true. She knew that she needed to both impress in the traditional ways by singing, by creating choreo, by having an elaborate stage production that was semi-based on Phantom of the Opera, Mm -hmm. and that she also needed to hang herself at the end of it covered in blood. That moment definitely stands out, again, as one of kind of the last great VMA moments, because Gaga, as you said, opened a new chapter. I wonder if less for MTV and more just for where music videos and music images are consumed, which is not really MTV anymore. Like, Gaga's music videos were impactful and iconic, not because they got played a lot on MTV, although I'm sure that they did, but more because we consumed them in all these other ways on YouTube and on Perez Hilton and all of these new media ways. So Gaga gave the VMAs kind of one of their last grasps at playing this role in society, while at the same time, she also kind of closed the book on them. I mean, that's the perfect way to describe it. She does kind of represent the end of an era for them. Absolutely. You know, because Mm -hmm. you and I talked about the fact that she did make appearances on TRL and nobody would ever think that. Nobody would ever remember. Why would you, you know? But yet she grew up on them and sort of had reverence for them at the same time. Right. In classic VMA fashion, she was so genuinely unpredictable at this moment. Yeah. You really didn't know what that bitch was going to do next. That was why that era was so fun. It was like every time she popped out, you knew it was going to be a thing. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, whether it was the meat dress or she's showing up on a horse or in an egg or whatever. Like, she was delivering on that level every time. All right. For sure. My first favorite moment is, in fact, not a performance, but it is Fiona Apple's infamous The World is Bullshit. That was a mine, too. Acceptance speech. Yes. 
honestly, not only perhaps my favorite VMA moment of all time, but my favorite award show acceptance speech of all time was Fiona Apple winning and getting up on stage and essentially taking the entire media industrial complex to task in the center of the media industrial complex. Getting up there and just saying, everything you're seeing here is bullshit. Everything that they're selling you about celebrity and fame and wealth is bad. And I'm here both somehow participating in it, but also letting you know. That was the realest shit that any celebrity has ever said or done on television, in my personal opinion. I didn't prepare a speech, and I'm sorry, but I'm glad that I didn't, because I'm not going to do this like everybody else does it. Because um, everybody that I should be thanking, I'm really sorry, but I have to use this time. See, Maya Angelou said that we, we as human beings, at our best, can only create opportunities. And I'm going to use this opportunity the way that I want to use it. So what I want to say is, um, everybody out there that's watching, everybody that's watching this world, this world is bull****. And you shouldn't model your life. Wait a second. You shouldn't model your life about what you think that we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. Go with yourself. That moment yes. is so special. And it's so yeah. funny because it's like at a time when we were at like our peak of just like consumption and believing mm -hmm. what we were reading and eating up all of the slop, you know, like people were so mm -hmm. angry at her. How mm -hmm. dare you mm -hmm. speak ill of MTV when they are gracing you with an award? You should be honored, you know? Mm hmm. Not to mention that she ended up really living out those values. I mean, I feel like that was the one and only moment that Fiona Apple really ever participated yeah. in MTV culture in any yes. meaningful way or any sort of mainstream musical culture. She's essentially gone from there to blaze a totally idiosyncratic path yeah. through pop music that has involved very little contact with like the center of all of this whirlwind of pop stardom. So I remember watching it live and I, every time I go back to it, I'm just like, speak on it, bitch. Like yes. you are the truth. This yes. is the truth. All right. What's your <laughs> second moment? So my second moment is Madonna and Courtney Love. Oh, such a good one. This I is mean, another one I can watch over and over again. It is the funniest shit. So ex first explain what happens in this video. <laughs> <laughs> so Madonna is up. It's live on the red carpet. And she's being interviewed by Kurt Loder. And I think it's important to say is in a little bit of a prim proper Madonna era. She's like yes. a little bit in her like getting into her British era. She's yeah. got like this kind of femme body little hairdo and this prim looking button down silk shirt on. Like she's not giving punky 80s yeah. Madonna. She's giving very grand dame Madonna energy. Yes. She's a Versace lady this evening. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Ballads coming out, right? Yeah. It's kind of, a, kind of a smoochy. Something to remember. Yeah. <laughs> smoochy thing. Something to you know what to. <laughs> Does this reflect a new smoochiness in your life, or? You, you may say it's um, reflection of that, but it's um, it's also. Hi, Courtney. She's talking to Kurt like this, and then all of a sudden, a makeup compact comes, <laughs> and it lands right in front of her, and her face, when it lands, is just like... <laughs> and then you, the camera 
pans down and you see Courtney Love, who, by the way, has always had this obsession with Madonna. Courtney yes. Love is obsessed with her and Madonna mm-hmm. has never wanted anything to do with her. So Courtney's trying to get Madonna's attention because she wants to be a part of the interview. She throws her makeup compact up at mm-hmm. Madonna's head and mm-hmm. Kurt Loder is like, I think Courtney Love wants to come up. And Madonna goes, oh, God, please don't. <laughs> That's Courtney, everybody's favorite. Come on up. Should we let her come up? Yeah. No, don't, please. Come on, Courtney. Come on up. Courtney's coming up. Well, come up. Courtney Love is in deep, in dire need of attention right now. Is she, she's throwing her compact at me. I'll just stand over here. <laughs> Courtney comes up. She's fucking staggering all over the place. Her skirt's yeah. up. Mm-hmm. And she totally crashes this interview. What you doing? I'm I'm, am, I, am I fully interrupting? I'm, no, no, no. Uh, like, we have some questions for you. Check out, check out Kurt's He's like a Donna Karen man. <laughs> Look, am I, I'm interrupting you, you know, and you guys are in a seat. I'm just feisty. I, I, okay. I don't mean to, like, you know, bump, bump, bump. Is this your first encounter? Thing, you know? No, 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 we've no, talked. No, we've had a few encounters. I disagree with the A&R guy a bit. But Alana's, there's some pipes. I mean, Courtney, especially at this time, she really felt like not only was she obsessed with Madonna, but she really felt like the public put them together. She, for whatever reason, thought the public saw them as these Betty and Joan. It's really, really wild. And Madonna really shows, as we were saying, her like uptightness in this (laughs) interview. Like whenever I watch that video, I'm always struck by the fact that like maybe there was an era where Madonna could have rocked with this a little bit more and had more fun with it. But for some reason, Madonna was not in that vibe anymore. She exited that. Her (laughs) discomfort with the whole thing is what kind of makes the comedy even more so than Courtney's like disastrous (laughs) it's more that madonna is like so fucking uptight in this video like i'm just like girl relax it's the vmas you're on tv with kurt loader in like a tower like it's not that big of a deal but she is like so offended i am gonna throw in as my next moment another madonna moment which is madonna performing vogue as marie antoinette one of my all-time favorite performances not just at the VMAs, but ever. Madonna is, in contrast to this irritating image she gives in the Courtney Love moment, at the absolute peak yeah. of her power, of her star quality, of her absolute just marvel. She is yeah. completely that bitch times 10 trillion. She performs Vogue in a style that incorporates both the choreo from the original, from the ballroom choreo that she stole slash elevated, however you want to frame that. Yeah. And also incorporates it with like Walt's late 1700s dance moves. And they're all in like white face makeup and the wigs and the big hoop dresses. Yeah. And they're sort of making the subtext of the men in tights of the era, the gayness of that textual because she's got these Vogue dancers wearing those outfits but doing kind of like some of the Vogue moves and connecting those different eras together. It's just a genius performance of Madonna's signature song in the height of her fame and she slays it. It is just one of the greatest performances of all time.
could not agree more. This is like for sure on my list. I was like really nervous about having two Madonna moments. It'll right. keep me up at night. But like, you know, I, as right. a homosexual, what do you want from me? You know, I, right. I, I'm doing my best. And also she's really had a lot of good ones on the show. Like what can yeah. you say? There's a reason they're associated with her. And it's just so special because of the time and like the dancers mm-hmm. and their association with Truth or Dare. And yes. it's like special to know all of them and mm-hmm. to know her relationships with them. Totally. That's um, a good point. That era of Madonna's dancing is great. I just love oh. the campiness of it and how funny mm. she is at times like like yes there's a moment that's reminiscent of in the vogue video where she like hits the guy with her elbow oh yes yes you know playful very yes. playful yeah when he squeezes yes. her boobs they lift up their skirts and they're wearing the bloomers and they like wind their oh, hips yes. like it's yes. fun you know absolutely i had to put that on there all right what's your third so my third moment is similar to the courtney and madonna mm-hmm. thing it is lisa marie presley and michael jackson kissing <laughs> <laughs> I had the pleasure of rewatching this right before oh we started. God. You did? <laughs> yes. It is truly the worst kiss. Oh my god. In it's history. just so uncomfortable. It's so awkward. I remember as a kid being tantalized. When I tell you steam coming out of my ears, a wooga, eyes on springs. I'm not kidding. I mean, it was the most Explain to the children what happens in this clip. So at this particular moment, Michael Jackson is in a relationship with Lisa Marie Presley. And it is, yeah, a relationship and Louis using heavy quote fingers. (laughs) 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 Who is also, I think it should be noted, like not a celebrity beyond being Elvis's daughter at that point. Yes. Yeah, she's world famous for being this like gorgeous nepotism Mm -hmm. baby, maybe the best Mm -hmm. nepotism baby of all time. So- She and Michael are in this highly publicized relationship. It's the biggest news story in the entire globe. And Michael and Lisa come out. It's like this super scripted, very awkward moment. Welcome to the MTV Video Music Awards. I'm very happy to be here. And just think, nobody thought this would last. And then they have this awkward, awkward kiss. And Lisa Marie looks like she's going to melt into a puddle of sludge. It is truly the peak of this kind of horrific era for Michael that's like a train wreck that you simply could not turn away from somehow. And his his desire to control this narrative about his sexuality and Mm -hmm. his all of that kind of stuff. It's fascinating from that lens. It was so performative and so obviously so. And yet I feel like he was able to get people to buy into some of it. That was his power. Well, he was always, when it came to women, Yeah, Michael has always been so performative. I right. would almost say theatrical. It's almost like yes. it's the stage production of being uh-huh. with a woman. Everything with Michael is lensed through some sort of stage <laughs> theatrics. Like his yeah. version of life is a Disney set or like a Busby Berkeley musical. Or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, very yeah, yeah, yeah. that. And again, it all circles back to this for me every single time. But it's like during a 90s news cycle, that was like, right 
right. his version of getting ahead of this big story. And right. like the VMAs was such a giant tool for that. The only way that I could just compare it would be in the way celebrities use like Instagram Live or like Twitter exactly. to explain themselves. Like totally. you did that at the VMAs in this big grand gesture way. My third I'm going to go with here is Mariah and Whitney in the dress gag. Oh my God. So at this time, I think this is like the mid-90s or so, Mariah and Whitney are both super duper famous, peak of their careers. Yeah, it's like what, maybe like 98, 97-ish? Yeah, and all the world talks about them as these feuding, big-voiced divas because they're Mm -hmm. two of the most famous women on the planet and obviously they share a lot of similarities in their artistry and they've been incredibly shady to each other in various interviews over the years. So anyway, they come out to present this award (laughs) together in the VMAs wearing the same dress and they play off of the competitive spirit that is either being projected onto them or is genuine. We don't know. And at one point, Whitney rips off part of her dress to reveal that it's slightly different than the original matching dress that she had. And then Mariah does the same into a, of course, because it's Mariah, a sluttier version of her dress. (laughs) Nice dress. Yeah. um, You look pretty good, too. You do. That's a one of a kind, huh? looks kind of familiar. That's what they told me. Yeah, they told me mine was too, but you know what? What, baby? Fortunately, I come prepared for situations like this. Try it on me! (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. Because I could do it better. You look good. Now, now, all right, now that's a page turner. No, you look good. You look very good. <laughs> it's just a really funny moment where the two of them poked fun at their grand dame diva personas and at their competitiveness that genuinely felt rewarding as fans of both of them and that you were in on this joke. And I just always find that moment very heartwarming, especially thinking of our dearly departed Whitney and like some of her best moments on TV that always stuck with me as like a gag that really worked. I agree. That's like the best way to describe it. It was a gag where gags typically are either like really cheesy on award shows or like they just don't work at all. And that was like the rare case where the gag was like well executed, actually Mm -hmm. funny. Mm -hmm. They pulled it off really well. Yeah, it was just a really cute moment for two women that are often seen as like superhuman. It was just a very sort of like lovable, playful moment. And obviously whenever I think about Whitney, like I get emotional. So it's just nice to remember her like in a moment like that, like where she was having fun. So what's your next moment? Okay. So my next moment, even though we already talked about it, I think that it's worth adding to the list and really expanding is Miley. Yeah. I really believe that that moment like you said earlier, it is the last great VMA moment. Mm-hmm. Miley's so interesting because she is a pop star who, looking back, it's like she did the work. Like, she really, like, did the work. She did her research. She studied. And she was strategic in how she went about doing that performance and knowing that it was going to be, like, this next chapter. Let me liberate you. You don't need no paper. That man, he's not your 
looking mm. back, it's like that was calculated and smart, and yes, it really, really, really worked. To me, it's always been really fun to see the way female pop stars specifically navigate and ebb and flow in and out of things and try things and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. like, that was just, like, a really great moment for her. She really had her finger on the pulse of something so special. It's both everything everybody remembers about how craven and ridiculous and garish, to use a word I've already used, and calculated, as you said, it was. Like, because it mm-hmm. did come across by that point, like, how do I make a VMA moment? And she <laughs> like, scientifically put it together. <laughs> And yet it is so memorable. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could think of someone trying to calculate a VMA moment and it being utterly forgettable. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's happened numerous times and they're just not popping into our heads right now because they're forgettable. Right. But she was, for better or worse, causing such a stir at that moment and it's encapsulated in that performance for all of its grossness because it is a little bit yick. Yes. It is incredibly smartly utilizing this platform for exactly what it was meant for, which is to kind of make people go, what the fuck? And she really did that very effectively. Her lack of shame was both her asset and also something slightly disturbing about her as a pop Yes. (laughs) Yes, totally. (laughs) So my fourth moment that I'm going to go with is... Janet performing That's the Way Love Goes and If at the 94 ceremony, which kind of in contrast to some of the stuff we've been talking about here, including Miley, is not a typical VMA moment in the sense that there's nothing particularly like jaw-dropping about it, but it's just Janet at peak Janet and she's in this outfit just high-waisted jeans and, like, a little tank top. And she's so sexy. And those are two of my all-time favorite songs with some of the best choreography in pop history. And I almost love it for the fact that it's not a classic, bombastic VMA moment. It's just a pop star at the peak of her powers, the peak of her fame, the peak of her sexiness, just sucking you in to her sweaty allure. I'm intoxicated when I watch that performance. I just am completely captivated by the like power and aura that is peak Janet Jackson during that performance. And of course, everyone who listens to this podcast knows that she's my fave. So it's not surprising that I'm going to gravitate towards a moment like that. But there's just something about her in that moment where I would just point somebody directly to that and say, like, this is what makes this person the one of the greatest pop stars and performers of all time. Just absolutely sensuous. Oh, I mean, how can I respond to that? Like, that's the perfect... <laughs> You ended it with sensuous. What do you want me to say? (laughs) Neither of us have mentioned the person that I'm surprised we haven't spent this entire conversation talking about. Like, I don't know. How is this? I'm I'm assuming you're saving something for number five. Well, yeah, I was going to save it for the end, you know? All right. Let's go. Because I could have been obnoxious and been like, my fourth moment is 99. My yeah, fifth exactly. moment, That's you know, like. I know what I thought you were going to do. Everybody listening prepared. thought I was going to do that. And I wanted to 
do the opposite of what everybody yes, assumes. you like to surprise these bitches. I do. Keep them on their toes. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of, like, if I'm going to choose one moment, like, yes. what is it? Like, what's the one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it will surprise people that it's not the kiss and it's okay. not the snake. It's oops. It's oops yeah. and satisfaction. Comes out in the fucking tuxedo. Yeah. Doing the Britney growl to the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> the Britney growl. Of all of Britney's VMA moments, that one to me is the most electrifying. I agree. It's like you can't take a breath. I remember where I was sitting the first time I watched it. On my living room floor. Eyes agape. It's so crazy too because sort of like the Janet thing I was just saying, it's the least accoutrement performance that she gives of those memorable Mm -hmm. slew of performances. Like, it's pretty simple. She's just in a little cage, circular cage, swinging the hair around. She's got the pants that are like, how is your vagina not out? They're so low rise. Yes. But she is just hitting it and she is just so in her body and in her power. That's what it is. Electric. It is electric. And it's not just the peak Britney VMA performance, but I kind of think it might be the peak Britney moment of all time. I think so too. She's just in her power in a way that feels like you're watching somebody who you know was like meant to be doing what they're doing kind of thing. Yeah. And I also feel like there's an energy about that performance where it's like she's been waiting two or three years at this point to have a moment like this that feels more authentic to who she Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And not really so much like what people are telling her to do. It feels very intensely her. I think just so that we have a different moment to talk about, because I do agree that that is the peak Britney moment. I'm going to go with the kiss. Okay. Because I did rewatch it the other night and it is spectacular (laughs) i mean on so many levels the union of britney and christina on stage sort of in tandem to the mariah and whitney moment i was talking about seeing two women that had been pitted against each other by the press come together in that moment was thrilling as someone who was of that generation and totally bought into every twist and turn that was going on in that generation of pop stars you had them Paying homage to the original VMA moment, Madonna in the wedding dress right from the beginning. So before Madonna even appears on stage, you already have this paying respect to the person that obviously birthed both of them. Yeah. It's really funny listening to Britney's um, hmm, less than live vocal performance (laughs) followed by the absolute opposite from Christina who comes out and completely oversings this song. Such a perfect encapsulation of like what they both do. I know, I know. But you made me 
And then you've got peak fitness dominatrix Madonna appearing at the top of this wedding cake as the groom. Terrifying. This era of Madonna, she was kind of scary, but in a great way. Yeah, in like a really sexy way. Yeah, one of the last moments where Madonna felt like she was really in her pussy. Like, yeah, one of the sure. last moments where Madonna was like, Madonna, the yeah. fucking queen of pop. Not the desperate Instagram mess. Yes. Not trend hopping with Justin Timberlake. It was one of the last times that I really remember being like, ah, shit, that's fucking Madonna. And she's Madonna. better than all these bitches. Where the room instinctively knows to get yeah. up and clap. Like that moment where right. like Maya sees her and right. Maya is like up clapping within seconds. Yes. It's not the even a question. The room is instantaneously on their feet. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's like every moment of what happens next is memorable, including the fuck ups, which is why it's such a quintessential yeah. DMA moment. Obviously, the kiss with Britney is instantaneously scandalous. Again, remember sitting exactly where I was, the edge of my parents' bed in their bedroom, I screamed audibly. It was crazy. But then the cutaway to Justin making the stupid face that then yeah. causes Christina to miss her moment. That yeah. whole entire thing. And then Missy emerging randomly at the end of the performance. As the <laughs> yo, 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 who that be? It's one of those performances where, like, again, it's obviously calculated. The VMAs have been around for 20 years at this point. Nobody knows better than Madonna and then, by extension, Britney and Christina about how to right. make a VMA moment. And yet, it still totally worked. Like, it just is as memorable and crazy and fun to watch now as it was when I first watched it. So I do think that moment deserves to be on the altar for sure. I mean, I think most people would say that that is the best VMAs moment of all time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah. it encapsulates everything that we've talked about this entire time. It's yes, absolutely. lightning in a bottle. It's yep. oddball pairings of celebrities on stage yes. that makes you feel shocked. It's yes. fashion. Yes. It's camp. Absolutely. And it's also electric. It's electric. It's like electric. you can't blink. And yep. It's a real celebration of those people where they were in their fame. Like, Britney is the most famous person in the entire globe. Madonna mm -hmm. is Madonna. Christina mm -hmm. is having the biggest year of her entire career and will yep. never top this moment. And, yep. you know, Missy was also fucking Missy still. Absolutely. She's fucking Missy Elliott still, you yep. know? And I also just have to say, I know that Britney sort of stole the show and, like, there was that whole moment with Christina. But, like... Yeah. Britney's stage presence is so fucking wild that mm -hmm. even just in the moment where Madonna is turning her, her yeah. turns are like yes. Broadway level. Like Look, she's just such a fucking performer. Not to make this sort of sad, but I do feel like that was also one of the last moments in public where Britney was that Britney. Like that was one much. of the last moments in 2004 before Kevin and before all of mm -hmm. the shit with her knee and everything that then sort of spiraled yeah. from there where Britney was 
that version of what she is. So it's so memorable because it's like this weird intersection of kind of the end of Madonna's trajectory in a certain Mm way or that period of Madonna. It's the end of something for Britney. It's the end of the peak, 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 peak VMAs eras too. I think that because we're now in the mid 2000s. TRL is probably starting to wind down. Like Mm -hmm. it really is a capstone moment. There's obviously great moments that have come after it on the VMAs, but there's something apexy feeling about that particular moment as you were getting at. So to round our conversation out here, This year's VMAs, the video of the year nominees are Doja Cat's Woman, Drake featuring Future and Young Thug's Way Too Sexy, Ed Sheeran's Shivers, Harry Styles As It Was, Lil Nas X's Industry Baby, Olivia Rodrigo's Brutal, and Taylor Swift's All Too Well 10-minute version. Do you give a flying fuck about any of these videos? And if you had to say who should win the VMA for video of the year. I feel almost idiotic asking this because it just feels utterly meaningless, but whatever. Um, Have you seen all of these videos? <laughs> I've not seen all of these videos for one I thing. certainly have not. I'm thinking I saw a woman once. I've never mm-hmm. seen Way Too Sexy. I've never seen Shivers. I think I saw As It Was one time. Obviously, the most memorable video for me on here is the Little Nas X video. Brutal, totally. I have no memory of. And Taylor Swift's music video I watched one time when it came out. I don't really know any of these videos, but what I will say is that I think Doja is... She's the closest thing we have in 2022 to an MTV artist. Agree. Maybe Lil Nas, too. And Lil Nas, yeah, for sure. Those two. Maybe we'll leave on Woman. Maybe we'll leave the podcast on Woman. A great song from, as you mentioned, a inheritor to the MTV throne... Yeah. That no longer exists. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's Doja Cat's woman, Troy McKitty. As always, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It was a pleasure to be here. I am obsessed with you, and thank you so much for letting me come back. Likewise, anytime. Mama, let me-